Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? It's so, so good to see you. Hope that God is already blessing your life. Hope you're enjoying the worship. Uh, we're doing a brand new series called uh, Christmas at the Movies. You guys enjoying that popcorn? <laughs> you know, my Pentecostal grandfather would probably roll over in his grave if he knew we were serving popcorn and drinks and in the church during a preaching. So, listen, man, I'm all in on that. If you were up here preaching, I'd be dabbling in on some of that popcorn. So, uh, uh, it's the, the the idea is, and hopefully you picked up a couple of these things. These are uh, Christmas at the movies. They're invite cards. The reason that we do series like this is because this is a uh, an opportunity for us to reach people in the community that that have certain preconceived ideas about church. A lot of the people that we reach in our community aren't people that have never been to church. It's people that were at church when they were kids, but quit going to church because it wasn't relevant, it wasn't fun, it was boring. So a lot of what we do in our community, in the Shawnee community, is, is reach what we call returners. And uh, this is a, a, a way by which we do that, is we do series like this, one of the things that we do every, every year. But um, these are just invite cards. If you, you should have one of these in your chair, or you should have picked one of these up. Make sure that you take these, and this gives you an opportunity to invite somebody that doesn't go to church. If somebody has a church, that's cool. But if somebody doesn't go to church, this is a good conversation piece. If, hey, have you considered when it's Christmas, around Easter and Christmas, people, you know, in the Bible Belt start thinking, hey, I really should go to church. We call them CEOs, Christmas and Easter only people. <clears throat> so it, get, it gives them an opportunity to think all this does is make it easy so you don't have to have a long conversation. So you just give them one of these. It's got the information on the back. Now, why don't we do this? Jesus did this brand new thing in his teaching when he started teaching with parables. Nobody had ever heard anybody teach like Jesus. What he did is he told the story and brought up spirit, that brought up spiritual principles. And that, that's where we get parables. But up until that moment, people just stood and read the law. That's, that's how they got their, their, their gospel, if you will. So Jesus arrives on, so, that, so that's what we're doing. Uh, movies tell stories, uh, they, they have meanings to them, and so what we're going to do is we're going to draw some things out of Scripture over the next month, and then we're going to compare it to some really cool movies that we picked out. So are you ready? This is going to be a lot of fun. Is it okay to have fun in church? All right. It's not a bad thing to have fun in church. So. Kick it off with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be here today. I ask, Lord, that... As we dive into this brand new series, you will speak to our hearts, bring about change in our lives where it needs to take place. May we grow and be inspired by the commission that you've given to us to reach the world today in Christ's name. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, it's okay to have fun in church. We're looking at a movie recently released called First Man. If you haven't had the opportunity to see that. Uh, that's what we're talking about today. But in 1961, the president at that time was John F. Kennedy. He began this dramatic expansion of the U.S. space program, and he committed the nation, the United States, this audacious, ambitious goal to have a man walk on the moon by the end of the 60s. So that brings us to our character, Neil Armstrong. 
Neil Armstrong joined the space program in 1963, and he was part of this elite team of astronauts that would, if you will, get to the moon, the mission to the moon. And this mission was extremely, extremely dangerous. It was risky. In fact, in one interview that they have with, with Neil Armstrong, he expresses that he's really confident about the mission itself, but he felt, really felt like there was a small chance, in fact, just a 50-50 chance they, that they would successfully touch down on the moon. During his training, over the process of about eight years, Armstrong almost died at least three times, came very close to death. NASA, and you can see this through the movie, NASA was literally using trial and error methods with the astronauts. Not by choice, it's just that this had never been done before and they didn't know what they were doing. One thing, uh, one thing it, it, that really stands out in the movie is that it was the 60s. They didn't have computerized things the way, they, that the way we have today. When they were talking about mathematics, rocket science to get to the moon, the dudes walked over to a chalkboard and started writing out math. You know? This is how they figured things out back then. But they were on a mission to do this. Um, it seemed like every time that Armstrong or any other astronaut went to space, he came very close to dying. And it took a certain person, a certain person with a certain mentality, someone that could go to work every single day knowing that his life would be in harm's way and that he might not return home. Imagine being the wife of an astronaut in those days. Imagine being Janet Armstrong, telling your husband goodbye and saying, I'll see you at dinner, but then thinking to yourself, I don't know if I'll see him at dinner. And the scene that I'm about to show you, the clip I'm about to show you, the movie recreates a very important moment in the Armstrong family that took place the night before he leaves to train and then go, uh, uh, you know, take this, take this ride. Neil uh, ha has been so consumed by the mission itself that he's neglecting his family. And his wife steps in, Janet, and she says, listen, you need to have a meeting. And, and she confronts him. And then they have this family meeting. So let's go and let's watch this scene, and I'll be right back. Pat doesn't have a husband. Those kids, they don't have a father anymore. Do you understand what that means? What are the chances that's going to be Ricky and Mark? And I, I can't tell them that their dad spent the last few minutes packing his briefcase. You're going to sit him down, both of them, and you're going to prepare them for the fact that you might not ever come home. You're doing that. You. Not me. Jimmy asked what you didn't say when you get onto the moon. Well, we're not sure we're going to get onto the moon. A lot of things have to go right before that happens. Do you think you're coming back? We have a real confidence in the mission, and uh, there are some risks, but we have every intention of coming back. But you might not. However, July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong did land on the moon. With the help of another dude, with the help of another dude, he walked on the moon, and that's where we get the phrase, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And from there, he becomes this national hero, and the world changed. 
his world changed. So I believe that we could put him within the category of a world changer. You know, we have been called to be world changers, and we have been given a very important mission. Do you believe that? We as followers of Christ, we at Faith Code Church, our mission is to lead people to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. But that is a very important mission. It may not be headed to the moon, but it's no less important that God has given to us. So there are some things that we need to understand about the mission that the Lord has given to us. Number one, if we're going to be world changers, if we're going to, be, if we're going to accomplish this mission, we've got to understand that we are chosen. We have been selected. There is not a random process for God choosing people. We are called for a very important mission. In the 1960s, there were teams of people that were involved in the space program. But the only way that you were called an astronaut is if you spent time in space. Everybody, everybody was a part of the space program, but if you were an astronaut, you were a part of this elite team that you actually spent time beyond the Earth's atmosphere. It's kind of like, you know, right now it's deer season and everybody, everybody calls themselves hunters. It would be like saying you can't be called a hunter until you actually get a deer. If, you're not, if, if you haven't gotten a deer, you're just part of the hunting program. That's the category I'm in right now for the last three years. But, but uh, th they were chosen. Armstrong, because of his training and his experience, had an unusual mental makeup to remain calm under pressure. He had a certain gift. You can see that in the film. He had a certain gift to remain calm under pressure, an unusual gift. And then he had an unusual physical gift that he could handle a high level of G-force pressure, that, that pressure of you know, being rocketed into, into space. He had, his, his body took that very, very well. Imagine the kind of person that you are, that, that you are able to man what is called an X-15, which was a rocket plane, that would go nearly 5,000 miles per hour and could go from one foot to 60,000 feet in the air in less than a minute. Imagine the physical toll that takes on your body. Armstrong could, could do that. His gifting, along with his commitment to his training, gave him the experience he needed to do something that had never been done before. He was chosen. In the face of uncertainty, in the face of we don't know whether or not this is going to be success, Armstrong was the right man for the, for, the, for the mission. Listen to me. You and I have been chosen for a very important mission. God has called us to impact our world, to affect the world with the gospel. God has called us to be examples. Now, I know that sometimes you might think, I, I, you know, I don't know if, if what I do really, really makes a difference. I mean, when you think about the church, if I were to say, hey, is the mission of the church really important? Everybody would think, yeah, the mission of the church is really, really important. But what does that look like within the context of what we do when we serve the church? I, I believe about 40 to uh, somewhere between 40 and 50 percent of our church actually serves on a weekend. You might be thinking, okay, I don't know if I'm impacting the world by filling, you know, popcorn bags. I don't know if that's really impacting the world. But everybody here with a popcorn bag, you're like, hey, yeah, we're changing the world. <laughs> One kernel at a time. Sometimes we think like that. I don't know how important it is. What have I been chosen for? I don't know. Sometimes, you know, if, if you're back there in the kids' ministry and you're changing, you know, a, a diaper, you know, you got the, I think they got a mask back there and rubber gloves and all that. And like, I don't know if this is, I don't feel like I'm changing the world. I'm just changing this dirty kid's diaper. You know what I'm saying? 
I don't know if it feels like, but I'm telling you, every little thing that we do when in the context of the church is impacting the world ever so slightly that goes into the, uh, the overall view of what it is to make a difference in the world. Amen? So wherever you are and whatever you're doing within the context of serving God is changing your world, and you have been chosen for that. You need to walk in that that you have been chosen for that. There are certain qualities that make you who you are. You have certain strengths. You have certain gifts that make, make, you, uh, make you impact your world ever so slightly. There are people on stage that play the guitar, and there are people, Baylor was up here, and he was, he was emceeing. There are people that have certain gifts that, 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 and certain qualities and strength that gives you and makes you a part of the body of Christ that helps you accomplish the mission. Everybody here has something that they bring to the table of the church that impacts the mission. My friend, you have been chosen for that. You have been chosen for that. And if you don't know what that is, maybe you don't know. That's why we have growth track. We were talking about that. We dive into what God has chosen you and, and, and your, your makeup, your spiritual gifting. The Apostle Paul says this, since you have been called, Ephesians 4 and 1 says this. He says, lead a life or live a life worthy of your calling. Since you have this very important mission, since God has commissioned us, live your life in such a way that is worthy of your calling. He says this, for you have been called by God. And then he, he gets specific, certain characteristics in your life, something that should characterize us as being followers of Christ. He says, always be humble and gentle. Since you have been given a calling to impact the world, then walk in humility and be gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of, of your love. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united. A lot of times, the church can become divided. We as individuals, we're not always united. But he says, I want you to be united. You're not, you don't have to do this alone. Unite yourself to the body of Christ. Because when we are united, we are an unstoppable force. Binding yourselves together with peace. My friend, we have a mission, a very important mission, and we've been chosen to change the world. We have to understand we're chosen, we're called for this. Number two, not only are we chosen, we have to understand that there are risks to our mission. There is this scene where Armstrong flies this, this lunar craft, if you will. I don't even know if that's exactly what it's called. And as I was watching this movie so interested me that I went home and I did a lot of hours on research. And when I got into thinking, I'm going to do this as an example at Christmas at the movies, I really spent, I probably spent eight hours watching different videos of, you can actually go online and see the real videos of his, some of his test flights. So if you can imagine back in the 60s, this happened in 1963, that he gets on this lunar craft, which is how they touch down on the moon. And nobody's ever built anything like this before. And it's more like something like a hovercraft. And they're trying to match the moon's surface with the anti-gravity thing. So they're trying to match that up. And he's got this little toggle stick. And he's, you know, he's, he's controlling the whole ship like this, like it would be in space. And they're doing their best to create the, the atmosphere for it or create the ship that creates the atmosphere. So he's flying this lunar ship around. And, you know, he comes down like he's about to land and the thing malfunctions, heads up, slants that way, slants that way, and then begins to turn over, and he has to launch. 
or he has to eject. When he ejects, the thing turns upside down and explodes, and he gets, you know, catapulted out. He nearly died. He, you know, I was thinking about that, and, and you, can, you can go online and watch the real clip of that. The movie does a great job of, of doing the exact scene, but I'm thinking to myself, it was just another day at the office with him. That's, that kind of stuff was happening nearly every single day. There are risks tied to the mission. How did, how did, somebody, how did Armstrong do this every single day? How did he constantly put himself in harm's way? And you can see it through the story that he felt like the mission was worth the risk. The mission was worth the risk. Now, when it comes to our mission, when we talk about what we do here every single week and and how you live your life every single day, there's not a lot of personal risk that goes along with our faith in the United States. I mean, the most that's going to happen to us and our jobs or something, somebody's going to harass us a little bit about our belief system. Somebody might say, so let me get this straight. You believe that, you know, the whole world came from one person and you believe that God created all this. You don't, you know, you don't believe, you know, whatever. Somebody might harass us and we might have to, that's pretty much the extent of our persecution. But it's not so in other parts of the world. I've had the opportunity to go on several mission trips and three-fourths of those trips when I go through customs and we take cash through there because, you know, the currency doesn't always work out and people rip you up. So we take cash through there because we're doing bikes for kids. And we've had the opportunity to do bikes for kids in, in uh, three different countries. And when we do that, you have to say certain things. First of all, you know, they, they were like, okay, listen, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take this money and you, you keep that in your life. Are we smuggling money into this country? What are we doing here? You know, they're, they're explaining these things to them. And they, they say, second of all, don't tell them you're a pastor, and don't tell them you're doing mission work. Don't say anything about that. Just tell them you're here for tourism. Write that down. And I've, I've discussed it with them and, and talked to them about it, but that's just that's the way we roll in other countries. But our risk, there is a personal risk associated to our culture, but it's not like what they did with in other parts of the world. It is more of a, of a spiritual risk. The enemy fights the United States. The enemy fights the modern church in our culture in a different way, and there are risks associated with you. And the Apostle Paul talks about it just a little bit in Acts 20 and 22. His risks were a little bit different, but we have spiritual risks. In Acts 20 and 22, he says this, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now, he's telling this, the writer of Luke's, the writer of Acts is Luke, and Luke tells this story before this. He says that the Apostle Paul is about to go to Jerusalem, and they knew that he was going to be arrested. And once he's arrested, it would, his life would probably be over. So this prophet comes to the Apostle Paul, and he takes off his belt, and he sits down, and he wraps his belt around his wrist. And he says, Paul, listen, do not go to Jerusalem, because if you go to Jerusalem, this is what awaits you. You're going to be bound. You're going to be arrested. So the Apostle Paul assumed these risks and said this. He says, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. What if that was prophesied over your life? I don't know what, I don't, God's not really speaking about a lot of things in my life, except for the fact that uh, persecution and suffering and jail await me in every city that I go to. That's what he's saying. 
He says, but listen to what he says. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work. Look at that. My life is worth nothing to me. One translation says, my life means nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. For Paul, the mission was worth the risk because it meant something. I want to tell you something. The mission that God gives us in this life is worth the risk that we go through. And here's something else. The, the, the mission gives life meaning. He's saying, the things that I'm going to suffer, my, my life doesn't mean much unless I fulfill the mission that God has given to me. I want to tell you something. Many people have discovered this at Faith Co. Church, but there is meaning associated to serving God. It, serving God gives meaning to our lives. I've talked to people before. They said, listen, I can't tell you how much serving the kids has changed my life. I can't tell you. There are people that have come talk to me and said how, how being a part of a connect group have brought their marriage back together. I've talked to people how, how serving in another part of ministry, it brought their family together. It brought meaning to life. The Apostle Paul says, my life means nothing to me unless I do what God has asked me to do. A lot of times we talk about the blessings that come with, uh, that, that are associated with living for God. And there's a lot of messages about hope, and I'm all about the hope that God gives us. And I understand because our world needs hope, but a lot of times we neglect the sacrifice that comes with it. Sometimes there is a sacrifice and there are risks associated with living for God and fulfilling the mission. And I want to tell you something, There's, we don't suffer the way people and other people uh, in other worlds suffer, but at the same time, there is a risk associated. And what if, the, what if it costs you something to live for God? A lot of times we want the blessing, but we don't want the cost. But, but when it comes to the calling, we want low cost, low risk, low commitment calling. That might get you what you want, or that might be what you want, but that kind of calling never changed the world. Changing the world comes with great sacrifice. And listen, obeying God is, can sometimes be risky. Stepping out on faith. You learn that as a pastor. Going forward on faith, obeying God. God. Sometimes God tells you what to do, but he doesn't tell you how to do it. A lot of times I'll stand up here and I'll say, I really feel like we need to do this. I really feel like God is directing me to do this, and, and I don't have all of the answers. I really feel like God, this is the what, but I don't know how. God never gives me the how. I wish that he would. Sometimes he just gives me, the, gives me the what. So it's risky, but the mission is worth the risk. Amen? Amen? Lastly, we've been chosen. There's some risk. And lastly, there is an incredible victory waiting on the other side. 1 Corinthians 15 and 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, understand that the victory comes through the Lord. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, yes, you need to do everything that you can do, but God is the one that's going to give you victory. That's why you hold on to God through every single circumstance. But victory has a timing factor. Victory has a timing factor, and it's usually after we fulfilled his calling, after the answer to the call, after the risk, after the war, after the fight. That's when the victory comes. The win, the success of the mission, it's all worth it when the victory comes. 
Once Armstrong walked on the moon, he accomplished the mission. I guarantee you, stepping out in space and, you know, walking around and being lightweight, all of a sudden, all of the risk, all of the things, that, it was all worth it. It was accomplished. And from then, that moment on, he had a, a story that could not be topped. You know what I'm saying? I mean, be, th think of being Neil Armstrong and walking on the moon. Think about how you tell that story. Everywhere you go, you're going to tell that story. I, uh, a few weeks ago, I was back here. Uh, we were breaking limbs, and we were doing some stuff uh, to build a bonfire. And you guys probably know this, but a deer walked out of the woods and attacked me. I kid you not. I kid you not. I was, we were just, you know, he just emerged from across the street and walked up there. And as he walked up there, I didn't know what these things were, what he was doing, but he was sizing me up, and it was called saddling. And he was looking, he was looking at me like this and walked. He was just eyeballing me. And I'm like, we're going to feed a deer. I said, Come here. I went like this. And as he got close, I looked at him, and his ears were laid back, and he was like giving me the stink eye, you know. I kid you not, I got a picture of him. And he laid into me, and every time I let him go, he'd slam into me. And it went on for two minutes, and finally I said, somebody, nobody's going to believe this. Nobody's going to believe this. And finally, after I was all bloody, I was bloody, blood all over. I finally said to some of the guys that were standing around, <laughs> giving me advice. <laughs> I said, you guys are going to have to help me. He's, gonna, he's wearing me out. So I pushed him away, and somebody hit him in the head with a stick. And he just kind of backed away and walked off, and you probably know that story. <clears throat> but of all the things that I've ever done in my entire life, that we've put that on YouTube or Facebook, that got one and a half million views. And then when there was 150,000 for something else, and I was on three television stations. I was on a radio station in Chicago. Somebody told me, somebody called me from Canada saying, hey, you're on the news. Somebody called us from Boston. Of all the things to be known for. <laughs> Make a long story short, I mean, for the last two weeks, and by the way, it's kind of it's went away. For, for, the, for the last two weeks, every time I went to town, I was recognized by people I didn't know. People would just walk by, oh, the deer man, oh, the deer pastor. I, I had told that story. I told that story. Every time I went to town, I would tell that story, if, whether it was Walmart, a restaurant. It didn't matter. what. I, I had to tell that story probably ten times every time I went to town because it was constantly being recognized. It was such a bizarre event. I mean, I wish it would have been walking on the moon. I mean, I wish it would have been that. The comedian... Brian Regan addresses the fact of what that must be like for Neil Armstrong. What incredible, I mean, the, you know, you're at a party, a Christmas party, and you're sitting there, and you're eating chips and everything, and, you know, people like to talk about things. And have you ever told the story before, and you said, well, you know, the other day I was doing this, and you tell this neat thing that you did, and somebody interrupts you and said, that's nothing, and tells you their story. And it makes you kind of feel like, well, sorry to bore you with my nothing story. 
But for the rest of your life, I mean, if you walk on the moon, everything changes, you know. So these people that, you know, like to talk about their stories and impress everybody, you know. Yeah, I remember, you know, when we were, you know, running our company, we like went global. And, uh, you know, I was in Germany. I was driving on the Autobahn. And we were doing all these things, you know. And, I, you know, I'm making millions and all this. And, and then you let that guy talk about that. But, you know, you, do, you know, you got this really good story. And you're like, really? I walked on the moon. <laughs> From that moment on, you got the floor, you know what I'm saying? It just changes everything. From that moment on, once he, once he stepped on the moon, once he accomplished his mission, everything changed in his life. The victory came. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 15, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The victory is worth the labor. A lot of times we think that we work so hard and our labor is in vain. Have you ever felt like you were being taken for granted in your own home? Don't answer that. Don't look, don't look to your right or to your left. This is not a good time. Have you ever felt like you were working as hard as you could? You were doing everything you felt like you could possibly do, but your labor was in vain. The Apostle Paul must have felt like that when he wrote this. I believe he wrote this from prison. He was trying to start churches. He was trying to uh, bring pastors around. And then there were people that were leaving his life. There were people that were abandoning him. He probably had a little bit of experience knowing that he had been shipwrecked. He had been stoned a couple of times. When I say stoned, I don't mean that he was... I mean they threw rocks at him for all the party people, okay? He, he would... He, was, he, was, he, he had suffered some things, so he knows what he's talking about when he says, listen, if you're going to experience victory, you need to stand. You need to be steadfast. Don't be movable. Abound in the work of the Lord. In other words, in other words, be abundantly exceeding in your effort. You got to know that your labor is not in vain. Be confident that there's victory on the other side. Listen, our mission will change the world. Your life is part of that mission, but you cannot give up. Amen. You can't give up. Listen to me. Victory is always on the other side of extreme pressure to give up. Did you hear that? Victory is on the other side of extreme pressure to give up. And that's why we don't give up. That's why we are steadfast. That's why we are immovable. That's why we are always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Don't you ever give up because victory is coming. Look at your neighbor and say, victory is coming. I want to close with this. We have been chosen for a very important mission in our lives, and God has called you. We got to understand, though, that, that there are risks along the way, but there is a great victory that God has for you, not only in this life, but in the life to come. We have been given the victory. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today and for speaking to us today, and Lord, for confronting us in areas in our life that we need to be confronted. And I pray, Lord, that you will meet us wherever we are and do your work in your will in the name of Jesus. As every head is bowed and nobody looking around, maybe God is dealing with you today. As I always do, I want to pray two prayers. The first prayer, I want to pray for those that you know God and he's Lord and Savior of your life. That maybe you have lost sight of the mission that God has given to you. Maybe you have suffered some loss and you're thinking about giving up. 
I want to pray with you right now, if that's you. If you're seated next to somebody that you love, you trust, you might take that person by the hand. Somebody that you're close to. The Bible talks about how there's power in us agreeing in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for all of us that are here, for every person that you're speaking to right now. And I thank you, Lord, for confronting us. I know the enemy likes to combat our lives. I know that there are seasons in our lives many times where we all feel like at some point where we feel like giving up or we feel like we can't do it anymore. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will reach down and you will wrap your arms around us. And Father, you will strengthen us. You will solidify our walk with you. Remind us of our better days ahead. Remind us of the victory that you've given us. And I pray that we do not ever, ever, never, ever give up. In the name of Jesus, if you receive that, say amen. If you'll continue to bow your heads, I want to pray one more prayer, as we always do. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, he's not Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible tells us that the way to Jesus, or the way to God, is through Jesus. That we believe in Jesus as the path to God. That he is the way, the only way. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, I would like to lead you in a prayer. Maybe at some point in your life, you walked away from God. If you're here today, maybe it's your first time, maybe you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, or maybe at some point in your life, you walked away from God, and he's speaking to you today. Today is an opportunity for you to come home and to give your life to Christ. I will not ask you to stand. I won't single you out. I won't ask you to walk aisles or anything like that. I just want, to, I just want you to pray just like we prayed. And today you can make a decision to follow Christ. I'd like to know if I'm praying for people. So before I pray this prayer, and even if I do pray, I'd like to know if there are people here that can say, Travis, if you'll pray, I'm going to pray that with you, and I'm going to give my life to the Lord today. I'm going to come home. Between you and me and God, if you can say that, just real quickly, put your hand up and put it down so I know I'm praying for people. Can anybody say that? Anybody? I'll just wait a few moments, and we'll move on. I'm going to ask one more time, just in case. Anybody say, that's me, Travis. I'm going to give my life to Christ. If you'll pray that, I'm going to pray it with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. And I, I thank you, Lord, for all of your blessings. And I, I trust that we all live for you and serve you. If we do not, I pray that we come to a place where we surrender our lives to you. And I pray, Lord, that you will continue to reach people through this church. That we continue to bring people to Faith Go Church. We continue to reach people that don't know you. And Lord, may we fulfill the mission that you've given us to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. In Christ's name, and everybody said?